Jesus, the anchor of my soul. You know what an anchor's for, right? When a ship's in a harbor, put the anchor down, and when the, the, the waves come in and the storms come in and things that might move that ship, guess what holds it in place? The anchor. The anchor. That's why Christ is the anchor of our soul, because in the difficulties of life, in the storms that come, he holds us in place. He keeps us. He reserves us. He's the anchor of our soul. So we're going to continue on this process of sanctification. I'm going to give you some thoughts on, um, you know what it is kind of now, so I'm going to give you some thoughts on kind of how do we, how do we uh, walk alongside the Spirit of God, walk alongside G- Jesus in our life and, and, and start to have this process in our life and everything we do. You know, I, the, the Christian life is meant to be shaped by taking sanctification seriously. It's not just something that happens, right? It's, it's a lifelong process, and it's got to be something that we are willing to step into. Because we don't, we're not, and we don't have, all the potential that God wants for us where we're at today. And this process of sanctification is that God comes into our life through the Spirit of God, through His grace, and starts to work on that ugly sin in our life, those things that keep us away from the things of God, the temptations, that that seductive draw of the world, and to pull us into the things of God. You know, we still have times when we want... Well, I do. Let me let me say I do. I still have times when I want my own way uh, instead of God's. Um, when I I still have moments when when I give in when I should resist. I have moments when I resist when I should submit. I do. I don't know about you. So I mean, look look who who of us can take an honest look at ourselves and conclude that I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm good where I'm at. You know, I no longer need to be convicted about anything. I no longer need to have the empowering Holy Spirit within my life to to sanctify me by His grace. I'm I'm about as holy as I should be. And you know what? I'm I'm free of any regrets and any issues in my life. I'm okay. How many of us could say that? I'm not looking for an answer. I'm just throwing that out there as a thought. Um... I think if we do think about that seriously, when we understand where we're at today and where God wants to move us to in this process, I think there's only one honest conclusion we can make. We can scan our thoughts and our desires and our words and our behavior and, and you know the people that are alongside of us in this process, and I think we can all come to the conclusion that we desperately need the sanctifying grace of God. I don't think there's any other answer. You know, and we should all be looking for how God will use the unexpected, unplanned, difficult, unwanted situations in our lives to expose our need for growth. That's what they're for. That's why he does that to us. You know, I, listen, I think, I believe the, that, the, that most of us, our problem in our spiritual lives is not dissatisfaction, but satisfaction. I think that's our biggest problem. 
Now, what I mean by that is this. I think we become too easily spiritually satisfied. We come to a retreat like this and get fed a little bit of, of the word and maybe the spirit brings a little conviction and we walk away thinking, oh, that was, that was good on that thing. I need that in my life. And get the money. And I was like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I, I changed and I'm good. I can go along at that pace for a while and do okay. I think we become too easily satisfied with our spiritual life. I think, you know, we get a little bit of knowledge. We, we, we get a, we kind of have a consumer approach to church, uh, you know, casual devotional life. You know, we, we get a little bit of money in our life and we become too satisfied. I think that's our biggest problem. You know, maybe if you're a, if you're a parent, oh, your, your children behave a little bit better and you think you're doing pretty good or, you know, you have a relationship with somebody and it's, it's doing pretty good this week. And, that, and we become satisfied with that. But we have to be very careful because God wants so much more for us than we want for ourselves. Let me say that again. God wants so much more for us than we want for ourselves. We need to start having the mind of Christ. Now, here's what he wants from us. He wants us to become partakers of his divine nature. Here's what it says in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Here's your scripture for tonight. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We talked about this before. It's another scripture. Through the knowledge of him. There's that thing again about knowing God. His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which have been we have been given, has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature of Christ, having escaped the corruption this world has through lust. That's quite all right. Second Peter one, uh, yeah. Second Peter one three through four. Now l- listen, let that sink into you for a minute. Let just let that scripture sink. His divine power is given to us. What did he say? Some things. No, all things. Here's the Greek for all. All means all. That's all. All means. <laughs> right. I mean, oh. That, that, Everything that we need, God, and here's the key, he's already given it to us. Why aren't we living in it? All things that, all things for what? All things that pertain to life and godliness. What, what more do we need? Isn't that what we're about? Is life in Christ, life and godliness. Those things have already been given to us according to scripture. And How? How do we appropriate that? There it is again. Through the knowledge of him. It it doesn't come any way except apart from this. This is the word of God right here. He's the Lord of the word, and this is the word of the Lord. We, We can't come to know him apart from his word and his spirit. We can't treat this like it's just another book. That's why it's so important. So through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, and through that knowledge that's been given to us, we have exceedingly great 
and precious promises. They're, they're already given to us. But if we don't know what those promises are, if we don't know how to appropriate them in our life, we're not going to share in that divine nature. We're not going to share in those promises that God has for us. That's why it's so critical to know who he is. God is active in every moment of our lives. We might not realize that, but he is. He's active in every moment of our lives, continuing to form his likeness of his son in us. He's constantly sanctifying everything we're doing. But we don't look at life like that. He sanctifies every moment. Yeah, he's a holy God. He can't help but do that. So here we got to make we got to make God's purpose our purpose, His work our work, and His goal for our needs our goal to be the same. That's how we start changing, right? I think Galatians five is really helpful and it lays this out. And this is another scripture I'm going to give you two tonight. So sharing in His divine nature through His knowledge. And you guys all know this scripture. I know you do. Galatians 5, 22 through 25. But I want to start in verse 16 because it says this in verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 16. And then he says in 22, but the fruit of the spirit. You know this scripture, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. And then he says again, he starts that scripture in 16, walk by the Spirit, and how does he end this? He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. But we want to walk our, by our desires and our thoughts, and we want this, and we, we, we forget about walking in the Spirit. And these fruits of the Spirit is what God's called us to. That's how we should be living our lives, is by the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's message is that the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart. So what do we need to do? We need to surrender our heart to the work of Christ. We need to surrender. We need to submit. You know, the Spirit of God has a destination for every one of us. And we need to determine where that is and get on board before he's taken us. It's part of what he wants out of us. I mean, what does that look like? It looks like having a life shaped by taking the fruit of the Spirit seriously. When's the last time you sat down and took an inventory of your life and said, hmm, how am I doing in the joy and the love and the peace and the faithfulness and the goodness and the patience part of my fruit? What's, is that being produced in my life? If I asked my good friend, hey, do you see in my life that I'm producing the fruit of the Spirit? Do you see joy? Do you see peace? Do you see patience? If I asked my wife about patience, she'd say, honey, you need to work on that. Because <laughs> she already told me that. I asked her. I said, what's, what's something in my life that I really need to change? She said, you know what? You need patience. The other thing she told me I needed was grace. She, you need, she said, when I see you, you know, working with other people and, and ministering, you're so graceful. She said, why can't I have some of that? I was like, oh, man, really? The love of my life, my beloved? And she said, can you give me some of that grace? And I had to go back and think, gosh, what? why am I not offering my wife the same thing I'm giving to everybody else? So the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, 
hey, I'm not producing this fruit as well as I should be. Why not? That's why it's so important that we have community around us to speak into our lives and, and inspect our fruit. We are fruit inspectors, you know, through grace. Through grace. I love you, man, but you know what? The other day when you jumped all over that guy, and you, it's like, you know what? You need, you need to practice a little more patience, a little more grace. Maybe do this or do that. Or, you know, I got convicted myself, I said, when I was on the phone with the guy from the body shop because I was like, I didn't have any patience or joy there, let me tell you. So we need to be our own inspectors, right? Scripture says, examine yourself to see what? To see if you are of the faith. Oh, well, I gave my life to Christ. I, I'm already of the faith. Scripture says we need to continue to examine ourselves to see if we really are. See what? Are we producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? That's what we should be looking at. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You and I have no ability to produce that in and of ourselves. It's only the fruit of the sanctifying grace of the Spirit of God. But we have a responsibility to look at ourselves and see, are we actively working toward the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? So we get up in the morning. So, Lord, I'm not as loving as your grace enables me to be. Please work in my heart to make me more loving to those around me. Open my eyes today to show me who I can love better. The only way to start producing it is to ask God to give it to us, right? To start walking in it. Why, why do I need love in my life? John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you have love one for another. What? I, I got to love that guy over there? Yeah. Why? Because are you a disciple of Christ? Should you be glorifying God in all your things you do in word and yes? Well, how will I know? By your love. They'll know by your love. Oh, I'm not very, I haven't been very good at that lately. Or like, Lord, I, I, I don't live with joy because my heart's just not filled with gratitude of all the blessings that you've given me. Lord, help me to be more thankful of your blessings and remind me of all the things that you've done for me. Give me a joyful attitude. You know, I used to, I used to do this. I need to start doing it again. I used to have something called Thankful Thursday. All day long on Thursday, all I did was thank God for the blessings that he'd given my life. Every Thursday. First thing I got up, the last thing I went to bed. I'd just go through scripture and find different things about the blessings of God. And I'd, I'd write them down, go throughout my day. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you. Lord, thank you that you did this for me. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for getting me out of the pit of hell. Thank you for putting my feet on the rock and not in the miry clay. Every Thursday, thankful Thursday. You know what that does for us? That gratitude starts to build joy in our spirit. And we start to exude that around the people we're with. Joy. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice! 
When's the last time you rejoiced in the Lord? Just because of who He is. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He says this is the day. What day? Today. What day? Tomorrow. What day? Every day. Every day is the day the Lord made. Why don't we rejoice in it? Every day. The first thing I do when I get out of bed, Lord, thank you that today has been given to me by you. Lord, would you make me honor, glorify, and give you praise and joy as I go about my day. Before my feet hit the ground. The last thing my wife and I say to each other before we go to bed, we say this. As the Lord, that's a scripture. As the Lord wills, we will do this and that for your glory, for your goodness. Every night we say that to each other. Why? For the building of your kingdom. Every night. It's the last thing we say before we go to bed. In us and through us. Look, preaching the gospel to ourselves. Preaching the gospel. Each fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God's redeeming grace. But it's not only a gift, it's also a, a goal or a destination or for us to aspire to. That's why God put it in the Scripture, to work towards. In each area of the character of the fruit of the Spirit, we're not yet all that. We're just not there, and we never will be. But, you know, that creation process, from glory to glory to glory, getting higher and higher and higher in Christ-likeness. The fruit of the Spirit does that. Listen, our sanctification, in our sanctification, it's a call for us to a spiritual work ethic. What? Yeah. It's, it's who we are. It's who we should be about. It's a spiritual work ethic. No, I'm, I'm not talking about wording, working for greater acceptance or working to be accepted. You already are. I'm talking about coming alongside Christ and allowing him to complete his work in us. What did I say? Work out your salvation through what? Fear and trembling. Why? Because, man, if you're not going to heaven in the end, the other place ain't very fun. Read what it's, what it's like in Scripture. There is a hell. People will go there. In fact, most people, according to what I read in Scripture, narrow is the great, narrow is the gate that leads to life, but wide is the gate of destruction. Wide is the gate. Listen, I, I'm going through the narrow gate. I'm not going through the wide gate. When we get to the end, all the sheep and all the goats are going to be there, and it says God's going to separate the sheep and the goats. All the sheep go, bah, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I ain't going to be anything else but a sheep. So we need to come alongside the Holy Spirit and begin to have a work ethic towards getting that fruit into our life. You know, I said this before, but we, this awe and this wonder and this, this holy awe of who God is and that he wants to radically change who we are, he, uh, make his work our life's work. Amen? His work, our life's work. And we do it with joy. We don't do it with grief and drudgery and, oh, no, another day. I hate my job. I got... Listen, everywhere we're at, God has us for a reason. 
Everywhere we're at, God has us. I hated my job the last three years before I retired. I brought in a whole new group of managers. They were all, they weren't anywhere near as smart as me. <laughs> they were all, just didn't know what to do. I knew it all. And uh, <laughs> here's God again. You know, it's like, we're supposed to pray for people, right? Anybody, everybody, right? Do you think I was willing to pray for any of those people that came in and took over our organization and started changing everything that we'd built over the last 35 years? Because we knew everything. It's like when that started happening, I was just grumbling and mad. Every day I'd come home and finally God just convicted me. Son, move over under the cross. What, what did I tell you to do for people that are lost, that don't know me, that are blinded by Satan? Like, but Lord, they're so stupid. Son, every time it's about me, right? My attitude, my, my lack of joy. But, you know, he, God's goal is clear, and we do it with joy. So, where do we do this work? Where, where do we establish this work ethic? Wherever we are, each day. Every situation, every location, every relationship. Getting the, getting the theme here? Every, 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 every new challenge in our life. Every trial, every situation, every decision, every opportunity. God doesn't leave any spot in our life out. Every one of those is a step more and more towards the likeness of Christ. The goal is clear. What's not clear is whether we make God's goal ours or we want to keep our own goal. We, <laughs> I think we, we settle into um, a, typical, a typical Christianity where our faith is alive and, and really vibrant on Sunday or maybe on Tuesday night. That's all. But seven days a week, 24 hours a day, God's expecting us to be working out our salvation. It just doesn't happen on one day a week. It just doesn't happen on two days a week. And we, we need to be on a quest for holiness in every day, in everything. We think, we desire, we do, we say, every situation, every relationship in our life. We need to be on a quest for holiness. Why? Be holy, for I am holy, God says. Here's the question we need to resolve in our spirit. Will the pleasures of God mean more to me than the momentary pleasures of the world? That needs to be settled in our spirit. Will the pleasures of God, which are many, by the way, Nothing that the world could ever satisfy. Will the pleasures of God mean more to me than momentary worldly pleasures? And will we joyfully give ourselves to the, the Spirit's process of sanctification until that work is no longer needed in us? Are we willing to give ourselves? So when does it stop? When does the work? Thank you. When the work of sanctification stops, when we're either raptured into heaven or we die and go to be with Christ. It happens all of our life. It's his process. You know, are, are we going to give away to a self-satisfied lifestyle that 
that really doesn't take seriously what God wants to do and, and not keep in step with God and not, not, not process this in our lives. But I think that's what God means by examine yourself and see if you're of the faith. Because all that examination starts looking at, is this happening in my life? Am I walking through sanctification? Do I have the fruit of the Spirit? Are my relationships the way they should be? If not, how do I change them? So let me give you a couple thoughts about how that sanctification works, right? One of the ways it works is through the church. What? The church? I hate church. You know the people there? They're just, you know, that's the problem with church is it's got a bunch of people in it. Right? I mean, that's the problem with church. There's all these people. And guess what? They're just like me. My wife and I have this saying. You're going to hear. My wife and I talk a lot to each other about our spiritual life. Right? We have this saying. And you've heard it before. We say it to each other all the time. If I have a complaint about the church, honey, you need to be what you want the church to be. If you want such and such in the church, you need to be that in the church. So people see that, and they, it becomes contagious. They catch on to it. You walk around with joy all the time. Let me tell you something. You walk around with joy all the time, You're going to, people are going to get joyful. They are. I'm telling you, it works. But if you walk around with a long face, grumpy, complaining all the time, people are going, dude, no way, get away. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want that in my spirit. We influence people by how we act, how we walk, how we talk. So how about a little joy? Let's, let's be the church. And the ministry of the church is really an important tool in the hands of God. You know, you, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 talks about, you know, the apostles and the prophets and you know, all the ministry and the work of the church. But here's what he says. I, I love this part of this scripture. It says, for us, it says, I'm just going to read the whole thing. because And he himself, he himself, because I don't want to leave any part of Scripture out. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. How? For the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith. Oh, you're all working towards the same thing. Unity, togetherness, community. That's what the church is about, right? Are we successful all the time? Absolutely not. Because we have people there. Okay, for the unity of the faith, what is oh, here we go again. That, I don't know why he keeps doing this in Scripture all the time. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's that knowledge thing again. What Do you think he's got a message for us? About knowledge of God, knowledge of Christ, knowing who he is? I think he does. The knowledge of the Son to a perfect man, to the measure of of the stature, of the fullness of Christ. Why does he want that? Here's what I was talking about that I was going to read. To the measure, to the stature of those, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every word of doctrine by the trickery of men, because men are trickery, especially worldly. They want, you know, just buy this car and you'll be able to get any girl you want. Just buy this house and you will be X, Y, Z. Wear these clothes. If you have your eyebrows... <laughs> yeah! What do you... They take the... It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. They take the thread and they do something on your... I, I don't know. Yeah! It's like, 
I walked through the mall one day. And I was like, what in the world are they doing? It's like, it was like, oh, you, oh, your nails are just, whoo, you can look at, you can be something, you can be something with these nails and be jeweled. You know, get the, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. Okay. Confession and honesty. I get pedicures. This is I love them. I love them. There's nothing better. Part of the reason is like it's getting harder for me to bend down and cut my toenails. So I was like, dude, uh, my wife talked me in it one day. I've never not gone back. It's the best thing in the world. I don't do colors or anything on my nails. I don't. <laughs> but every time I'm in there, they want to put colors on my nails. They want to do my fingers. I'm just not there yet. I just... Uh, Toenails, yes. It's, dude, it's so good. And they put, I'm telling you, they put that, that salt stuff on there, salt scrub, and oh, it's beautiful. Anyway, <laughs> confession, I'm just being honest with you. The, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in what? Love. Love. There we are. Love again. Right? I mean, the church is critical in our sanctification process. We need to start understanding that. You know, we need the public reading of the word. We, we need to be reminded of its authority, of its sufficiency, of its life-giving wisdom. Mutual ministry and fellowship in the body of Christ. You know, we, even this, we need the example of wisdom, rebuke, and encouragement of mature brothers and sisters in the faith. Church is important. Forsake not the, the gathering together of the saints. Okay. If you say so, God. Don't, don't let the imperfection of the church discourage you. Remember, the church is populated by people just like you. Yeah. And that they're, they're in the middle of their sanctification, sanctification process too, just like we are. So they're going to have bumps and bruises, right? Relationships, marriage, parenting, friendships, all things God uses for our sanctification. I am absolutely convinced... I said this to somebody at lunch. I think I'm absolutely convinced there is no harder, bigger, sanctifying process in, in life than marriage. It is one of God's biggest sanctifying processes. You know that scripture that says iron sharpens iron? Yeah, that's what relationships are about. Iron sharpens iron. These, these relationships expose our selfishness and our rebellion in our hearts and and they expose the depth of how we need to be changed. It's part of the sanctification process. It's a tool that God uses actively to show us what needs to change. I, sanctification, I think, fosters what I call the sanctity or the sacredness of everything. God's holy. So if he's involved in something, it's sacred, right? He uses the smallest of circumstances in our lives to move us closer and closer to the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. 
So even the smallest moments in our life are spiritually significant. Because he uses every one of them. We don't think that way. Every one of them is spiritually significant. We need to start thinking differently. We need to have our minds renewed. Listen, if we're God's children and the object of his constant, active, sanctifying grace, then there, there really shouldn't be any secular, unholy, just normal, whatever moments in our life. Because they're all sacred. His sanctifying love never takes a break in our life. It's constant. It's all the time. Here's the one thing I hate about sanctification, right? Difficulty is a primary sanctification tool. It is. God uses that. It's one of the primary tools. Yeah, listen, I've never heard anybody say, oh, you know, I had the best three years of my life. Everything was perfect. Nothing ever. I've never heard anybody say that. In fact, it's really hard sometimes to hear somebody say, this was the best week of my life. Or maybe the best day. Right? It just doesn't happen. God uses difficulty in our life to sanctify us. I mean, the, <laughs> there's so many scriptures that talk about that. About the suffering. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Died to self. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. I, here's the problem. The core, I've talked to you a little bit about idols. I wish I could, maybe at some other time. The core idol of idols is the idol of self. We're our biggest idol, self. You know, it places us at center stage, causes our lives to be shaped by what we want, how we want it, where we want it, when we want it, who we want it from. It's just part of our life. Self is our biggest idol. We need to kill it. We need to die to self. And I'm convinced that that idol of self is far more influential in our choices, our words, and our behavior than we really realize. I don't think we realize how how large that is in our life. You know, and the other thing that goes along with that idol of self is the idol of comfort. We tend to think that a good life is a comfortable life. Listen, Jesus doesn't know anything about comfortable Christianity. Look at Paul's life. Look at the disciples' life. Look at the apostles' life. I mean, yes, it's okay to be comfortable, but that's not God's process. You know, we, we've sadly spent too many of our days dissatisfied with our lives because we're not getting our comfortable way. We're not getting this. We're not getting that. And you know what? I think being uncomfortable is one of God's primary tools to, to sanctify us. The difficulty in life. So what do we do? Glad you asked. We need to humbly confess that we often treasure our comfort and ourself more than we treasure God's sanctifying grace. We can't long for God's redeeming, sanctifying grace in our life and curse difficulty at the same time. Can't do it. So we need to start confessing and humbly before God, telling him, Lord, I am seeking comfort. I know you don't want that above everything else. We just need to start confessing it. We need to remember that the cross of Jesus Christ, we don't talk a lot about the cross like we should, but listen, the cross, here's what it teaches us. It's a powerful message. God is able to bring the very best of things out of the very worst of things. That's the cross. At the time, it was the very worst of things, but God brought the very best of things out of it, our salvation. That's one of the miracles of his redeeming grace. Cross reminds us that God brings rich, 
beautiful, eternal, spiritual good out of bad. The cross of Christ. Always about shaping and molding and forming us more and more into his image and likeness. So here's the last thing for tonight. I am afraid that many of us live what I would call God-forgetful lives. And what I mean is that most of the time, other than when we are participating in something that is obviously spiritual, like public worship service or prayer or personal devotion or retreat like this, we tend to live in a state of kind of spiritual amnesia. It's like, oh yeah, I know I'm saved, I know I'm God's. I mean, but we just fail to live with a consciousness of the incredible identity and blessing and divine nature that is already ours. We have this, this amnesia about it. I mean, you know, listen, God actually lives inside of us. That in itself should change who we are. I mean, the, the storehouse of blessings that he has for us and the work that he's doing in us and through us. Uh, and I think because we don't carry around this, this consciousness of God and his work in our everyday, ordinary lives, we just don't make his purpose our purpose. We don't make his goal our goal. We don't make his work our work. I mean, we tend to be a little more serious about our sanctification when something spiritual is going on. You know, but outside of that, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I got to remember to pray. Oh, I, I forgot to read my word this week. Right? I mean, it's like, it's just kind of this spiritual amnesia. But we need to realize that God's holy work is going on everywhere, all the time. Sanctifying grace makes marriage, parenting, jobs, home, money, sex in marriage, being a good neighbor, politics, leisure, entertainment, finances, diet, health. Did I leave anything out? I mean, everything in our whole lives are made holy by God's sanctifying grace. Everything in our lives belongs to God for his purpose and his use. He paid the ultimate price to make us his own. We didn't. There's nothing in our lives that belong to us for our purpose or for our using. That's a hard thing to realize. Because with self as our idol, it's all about me. So listen, we bring glory to God when we live our lives in view of him, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And when we seek to make God's redeeming purpose for us, the purpose that shapes the way we think about and approach everything in our lives, things will begin to change. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we, <laughs> we fall so short of what you have for us, of what you've given us, of what you want for us. And I know we can't do it in and of ourselves, but we can walk alongside you. We can allow your Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. We, we don't resist God. We don't resist the things of God. God, uh, if we're suffering from spiritual amnesia, God, would you help clear the, the fog out of our minds? Would you help us to remember who you are, what you've done, and what you want from us? Father, let your spirit go deep into each one of us tonight and as we wrap up tomorrow, that we would begin to look at you in a totally different light. That we owe our lives to you. 
that we are not our own and that we would be willing day by day by day by day to submit, to obey, to love you like you've called us to. In Christ's name, amen.